Hi guys, this is Linda Kodega. I'm here with Tri Kai 9, a story screen presents podcast. We are a group of three friends. I'm Linda. I'm Bernadette. I'm Diana. And we're here to talk about films that uh, we want, we're here to compare two films that appear in the same year, as long as that year ends in nine. Um, so this time we've got kind of a doozy for you. We have Drop Dead Gorgeous and Jawbreaker. And both of these films obviously came out in 1999. Um, and here to tell us about Drop Dead Gorgeous is Bernadette. I'm gonna pass this one to Diana to oh, talk yeah. about Drop Dead Gorgeous. <laughs> you just made a face and I was like, oh yeah, it's Burn. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so, just news update. I have never seen these movies. I did not see them in 1999. Uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous is a small town beauty pageant in Minnesota and the girls start dying. <laughs> That's like the small the small plot of it. It's uh, directed by Michael Patrick Jan? John? J-A-N-N. Um, the writer is Lona Williams. And it stars Kirsten Dunst, looking really cute. Denise Richards, who gave me weird deja vu of, of a past roommate I've had before. And uh, some awesome other actresses and actors in kind of like parental age roles like Ellen Barkin. Um, I love Allison Janney. I'm re-watching The West Wing right now. And Kirstie Alley doing some scary Midwestern accents. So there's some good ones. And R.I.P. Brittany Murphy. She was like my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. And Amy Adams, who I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing in this movie? So, yeah, I feel like uh, anybody else that I left out that you guys want to mention. But really, I feel like Alice and Janie stole the show. <laughs> Alice and Janie has said that more fans come up to her talking about Drop Dead Gorgeous than they do for West Wing. Really? That's awesome. I can believe yeah. that. It's I mean, a cult she, movie. she's like the mom figure that you want. um she drinks she's still really positive about your image and encouraging you to follow your dreams of becoming a newscaster so i like it (laughs) um i guess a little more about the plot is just uh kirsten dunce's character whose name is amber is sort of like the poor kid with like five jobs and she wants to win so she can get scholarship money and get the hell out of her town. And she wants to be like Diane Sawyer, who was a previous winner. Um, and then Denise Richards is kind of scary. And <laughs> her mom, Kirstie Alley, is also a past winner. And she's like the rich, beautiful kid who's expected to win. And there's some rivalry going on. <laughs> Some. Yeah. Just just a little. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) She's also really good at shooting guns. (laughs) Very disconcerting. Yeah. (laughs) So many guns in this movie. And Jesus. Oh, gosh. It is Minnesota. Paper mache Jesus. Oh, God. (laughs) 
We're going to talk about that. So bonkers. Okay. So thank you, Diana, for that rundown of Drop Dead Gorgeous. (laughs) Actually here for Jawbreaker is Bernadette. Hi. Yeah, I also had not seen either of these movies until now, which is crazy because I definitely had seen Jawbreaker, like the VHS tape, lying around a lot when I was like in, you know, like junior high and we would go to the video store and it would just be there because it's so bright. Um, So Jawbreaker came out in February of uh, 1999. It seemed like it kind of came out around Valentine's Day, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> um, it is a Darren Stein written and directed uh, movie. So it's a, this man writing about teenage girls, which is weird. Um, but the basic premise of this film is that it has four popular girls in high school, like the popular clique. Um, one of them is turning 17. They're really like pure, innocent one of the group. It's her birthday. The rest of the friends, the other three girls, decide to pick her up and gag her with a jawbreaker. And things go awry. And she gets killed within the first five minutes of the film. So <laughs> that is basically the the starting point, the inciting incident of this crazy film where it's these three high school girls who are trying to keep it under wraps of what happened to their friend, trying to get away with the murder. And it stars Rose McGowan as, like, the lead bitch in the high school clique. And you have Rebecca Gayhart and Julie Benz rounding out that group. And the poor, poor woman who dies in the early beginning of the film is Charlotte Ayana. And I'm not familiar with her work outside of this film. But the one who kind of replaces Liz Purr in the group is Judy Greer, uh, playing a character named Fern Mayo which is great. Or I love her. Violet. <laughs> and uh, so it's about like the inner workings of high school popularity and uh, what it is to gain said popularity and really kind of just how messed up high school women are uh, because they have so much to live up to and uphold. It's insane. It's an insane movie. Can't say I'm crazy about it, but I'm excited to talk about it with with you too. Yeah. Same. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, I I will fully admit that I hadn't watched Jawbreakers all the way through. I think I got like halfway through like in high school and I was like, this is not for me. Yeah. Um, and I just I want like <laughs> yeah. Uh before we really get into it, I think that like something that we need to talk about, especially like with these two films, is uh, authenticity and what it means to be authentic in a high school drama. Mm. And I think that the the big thing here is that both of these films are very surreal. They're both weird and strange in very different ways. Um, and I think that one of the reasons why, and I think that we can sort of say now without, without really like saying a lot, uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous is just kind of a better film than Jawbreakers. Agreed. <laughs> you, they're both nodding. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> audience, they're both nodding. Yeah. I, I would say definitely. Confidently. And I think, <laughs> confidently, yeah. And I think one of the reasons for that is, so all of the girls in Jawbreaker 
are like 27. I know. I did like, look that up. I was kind of like, I did too. I was kind of like, how old is Rebecca Gayhart? I think you're old. <laughs> all yes. of them. They all look like they're 25, 26, 27. And the movie really treats them and looks at them like they're women and not like they're girls. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, as we mentioned before, it was written and directed by Darren Stein, who really hasn't done a lot. Yeah, what has he uh, done? He did Gay BF. Oh. GBF. Okay. Gay Best Friend. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But this was his, like, first thing that he really did, and he basically ripped off Heathers to do it. That is exactly yes. what I was going to bring up. Mm-hmm. It's like Heathers light, but not good. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, and that's kind of like, and then we have to sort of look at the authenticity within Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is a very familiar premise where it's still like girls getting judged, but instead of for prom, this time it's for a beauty pageant. Um, and Kirsten Dunst is in it, and during the nineteen nine during the nineteen nineties, and especially in ninety nine, Dunst was like the it girl sure. for a ton of films. She was in Virgin Suicides the same year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's seventeen. In this film. Yeah. And she looks more and like a kid. I mean, she definitely. looks like a child. She's, and they treat her like a child. Yeah. She's tap dancing. <laughs> on, I know. She's tap dancing in like a top. Yeah. Dance. On the like, side of the not, road. She's just like doing like, you know, dream ballet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it comes yeah. to, to Jawbreaker and just the way they even look, I think other movies do it a lot better and uh what i kept thinking about was like clueless they dress them up like older to look older yeah just Mm. like they were in jawbreaker but it's believable they're still acting like children in clueless whereas in jawbreaker it was like no you're full-blown women what are you doing in high school it's definitely interesting how this movie seems to pull from stuff like clueless even though it's made around the same time and then I mean, maybe Clueless is also pulling from Heather's, but I feel like the plot is weird because I don't feel like a character like Judy Judy Greer's Fern. I feel like she wouldn't go for being the cool kid so quickly. Like, I feel like she seems like she's got some morals or a potential crush on the girl that got killed. So why wouldn't she report it to the police? <laughs> like, I feel like, I'm like, it's not as believable that she would just be like, oh, okay, I'm going to be cool now. I won't say anything, <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, that's the problem, right? Jawbreakers kind of falls apart the minute you look at yeah. it. Like, you look at it sideways and it just, like, crumbles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's not It's not there. There's nothing there. And I think that that's, the, like, kind of my first question, the first thing that I want to ask you guys about Um with regard to both of these films, Drop Dead Gorgeous has this very distant document. It's a mockumentary, right. really. Yeah. Um, and sort of that gaze where it's like we're trying to be as realistic as possible while still observing this very surreal place where people are talking like, I mean, the accents are out of this world. <laughs> and they're talking about stuff like... They're they're tackling very adult subjects. They're talking about like classism. They're talking about like how girls are like over sexualized. They're talking about um they're not really like interested in boys because like a lot of teenage girls aren't interested in boys, and that's just like not a plot point here. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to sort of talk about like that sort of distant 
gaze where like the the step away versus the very weird like cartoony almost gonzo male gaze of jawbreaker the scene that sort of stands out to me as like the best example of this is when i think that they're in like a cafeteria or or a classroom and uh rose mcgowan's character is looking over at some boy and the boy like sticks his tongue out and like makes a face at her and like there's that like literal cartoon like (laughs) noise yeah and i'm just like what is what is happening? Yeah. Yeah, I wish it would have leaned into that more. Because, yeah, those, like, little random little, like, sound effects that you get, and every once in a while, like, the way that they edit the two scenes together, it'll be, like, a really dramatic, cartoony wipe, or, like, a really weird editing technique to, like, stitch these scenes together. And at those moments, I'm like, oh, why didn't you, like, really push into, like, how ridiculous this is? I don't know. Yeah, it might have worked yeah. a little better if it seemed like more of a satire, you know, because it mm-hmm. it doesn't really seem like it's supposed to be. But I do feel like it it should be like perceived as kind of a silly, weird movie. But I don't know if it it doesn't work quite well enough for that to be achieved. I feel like so. Yeah, I definitely think it it reads a satire, but some of the more interesting things they don't delve into because those things just don't fit in a satire film. Right. So. Yeah. They really don't... So one of the things that I liked about Drop Dead Gorgeous is they really interrogated what's important to girls um, and young women. And a lot of them, like uh, Kirsten Dunst's character, she just wants to compete. Like, she's happy getting second place. She's just like, that's fine. I just wanted it to be, like, fair. Right. Even though, like, she knows it's not fair, she knows it's rigged, she she really just wants to, like, have a fair shot. Whereas the motivations of the girls in Jawbreaker seem to, like, start and end with the film. Yes. Like, they, they don't actually, they're not actually, like, people. So I'm sort of wondering if you guys have thoughts on the way that, like, these films look at desire and motivation whether that's like the sexual desire of teenagers or their desire to be looked at or like be seen or how they're viewed like i'm wondering what you guys think about the way that these films handle an individual girl's desire Hmm. one thing that i did like about uh drop dead gorgeous and thinking that it made a more realistic view of it was Kirsten Dunst's character wanted it to be fair, but it was kind of like everyone else was in on it as far as like they knew it wasn't fair. So I liked that, you know, you had a character like Brittany Murphy who was like, oh, my costume got approved a month ago. You can just wear my costume. Because that's something that if you had a friend doing that with you, they probably would do that they'd like pull together for you more so than it being like a plot point that everyone was vicious to each other. Like it was nice to see moments like that or to see um, (laughs) her like ridiculous mom, Ellen Barkin with her beer can melted to her hand. But then like Ellen Barkin and Allison Janney's character, like being like so overcome with happiness and like being proud of her and stuff like that. Like that was just nice. (laughs) 
<laughs> I felt like that was sort of like a like a collective motivation for this one kid to do good and like get out of this town where they're like, you're too smart for this town. Get out of here. You know, um, whereas like it's not really like that for Jawbreaker. Everybody's sort of like very focused on their personal power and identity. And the thing about Jawbreaker is like we don't even know really what year of high school they're in. Sure. Like we can assume that they're seniors because they go to prom and they're like eligible for prom king and queen, but like they it's who knows? Who knows how old these girls are? They could have been in high school for ten years. <laughs> like we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Someone I- save them. <laughs> I think it does say at the beginning, yeah, I think it's her 17th birthday, and I think when she does die and they make the announcement over the intercom, they do say, like, beloved high school senior, and it's like, uh, all right, okay. But the I think uh, when we're talking about desire for Jawbreaker, the most interesting part of the movie for me was when uh, Courtney is going in to talk to Veracruz. Uh, played by Pam Greer. Hot Pam who, Greer. She's great. Wasted. Yeah. Why they gave her that name, and then yeah. she like introduced herself as Vera Cruz, but then like <laughs> the rest of the time, like she didn't have like any type of accent, which yeah. I was like, this is weird. Why can't she just be Pam Greer? Yeah. So so she so the reason that is is because Jawbreakers had a three million dollar budget and couldn't afford reshoots. Oh, weird. And she realized that she made a mistake. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's such a great like little tidbit that you know, Linda. Yep. Oh, Pam. <laughs> but uh, I loved the scene where Courtney goes in to talk to her and is like spinning the web of how Liz like is like a sex addict oh, and yeah. is always trolling for older men. And then you start to realize that she's talking about herself and that like she is the one who has the problem who also trolls for older men and goes to the bar to convince that guy to come home and have sex in Liz's bed and that was and Marilyn was Manson like, yes and i was like this is a much more interesting story to me this is the most real Courtney has been the entire film mm. and i was like i Courtney is so messed up like that was the only moment in the film where I like actually cared for Courtney because I was like no I want to help you like you clearly have issues she's a more interesting character for sure of all those girls yeah and then they just kind of blow off the rest of that storyline I'm like no the story that I wanted to watch was right there and now she's just like vapid again like I don't I don't care about her if she's vapid or, like, a character of someone who has a problem. I'm more interested if they, like, embrace the fact that she has a really big problem. So. The thing, yeah, that that scene, those scenes in particular with Marilyn Manson sort of doing his little cameo were made really, really, like, especially this year when Twitter sort of took a hold of one of Rose McGowan's, uh, confession videos at her at the deposition like one of Marilyn Manson's depositions because he groomed her and abused Rose McGowan like he did that on the record everybody knows and so this this film takes on a much different sheen when you see that happening because you're just like yes this is what like an older man did to like a teenage girl and now we're seeing it just like in fiction 10 years later into their relationship 
And it's just, it's, it's so dark and it's so disturbing. And like the meta narrative there is really, really hard to ignore. Um, especially because like I had just seen a few, a few tweets and a few like explanations of like why we shouldn't be celebrating Marilyn Manson's birthday, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, this seems all right. Like he's a trash bag. We know. But then like, I saw that testimony of that Rose gave and I'm just like, oh fuck. You know, it's just like, it's really hard, especially when you sort of realize now watching that, that like that it was like, that was messed up. That whole movie, that whole storyline, and that character especially, like, in this film, when she's filming it, uh, Rose is 26. Like, she's been with Marilyn Manson for at least eight years. Oh, wow. That long? At that point? She, I mean, wow. yeah, they, had, they like, he had started grooming her when she was a teenager, yeah. when she was, like, 17 or 18. Yeah, it was really weird to see that, like non-call for help slash call for help like be documented in that way Mm. yeah yeah it was very very strange oof okay another question for you guys um i think that something another thing that like really stood out as a difference in between these two films is the role of adults yeah and how adults had agency in these films or didn't have agency or like didn't even appear Yeah, where were fern's parents <laughs> where were fern's parents where were anyone's why did parents, all the teachers frankly? thought fern wasn't coming to school and that violet was a new student they really thought that was a new student <laughs> i was like where's fern's mom <laughs> who knows but that's that's the question right yeah. like what are the roles of adults in these films? Uh, just to be uh, bad actors, I feel. Because, yeah, that one scene where Julie is, like, upset in her room because her friend has passed away. And the mom comes in and has that very, like, bit scene with her. Yeah. It's like, this is some of the worst acting I've ever seen in my life. It was so bad. It's hard, yeah. too, because, like, for... Uh, I feel like Julie... Rebecca Gayhart is supposed to be the hero, but I don't really care. Like, she's very, she's very bland. Like, she doesn't have, she's not Winona Ryder and Heather's. Like, you, you don't, like, rally behind her and want to see her take these people down. I'm kind of like, I don't really care about this guy with the chin hair that you're hanging out with. <laughs> you know, like, I'm just like, eh, this plot line is not that exciting. So... <laughs> I would have more liked to have seen Fern's character develop a little more than and be the hero of the story. Um, but yeah, just the, the lack of parental guidance or agency is is weird and jawbreaker for sure. Yeah, it's strange to see Carol Kane, who I really love, yeah, play that like maybe principal. I guess she's the principal of the school, but she seems like she has, yeah. like, no power whatsoever. Yeah. But she's kind of, like, a caricature of, like, a Greece teacher. Like, yeah. the way the students interact with her. And since she's, like, your touchstone, like, your sounding board for adults in this movie, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, cool, so the adults are frazzled, and the <laughs> teens are also adults. Like, this movie just has, like, no actual foundation in anything. <laughs> 
I know. And then there's like the Pam Greer character who could almost be an adult who knows how to do anything at all. <laughs> and then like that storyline never goes anywhere. Yeah. Like, does she even, I don't think she even arrests Courtney at the end of it. Like the ending is like the, it's very the ambiguous. Picture yeah. It's and we're all just like, it was weird. Like the ending of Jawbreakers was very much like in the style of, it was like the beginning of Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. Or right. Like, or the middle of Carrie. It's kind of like a TMZ like... paparazzi photo shoot at the end where they're all just like calling her names and throwing stuff at her. Yeah, it was, like, the worst thing that she suffered at the end of her crime is just getting, like, a terrible picture in the yearbook, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just kind of ends. And I think that's, I mean, the role of adults in Drop Dead Gorgeous is much more obvious. Like, there's multiple mothers, there's fathers who are given so much character with just, like, a few lines and, like, a few, like, you know, cuts to the dad and there's like best friends next door and there's just so much depth in the way that the adults of Drop Dead Gorgeous interact with the young women mm-hmm. and i find that very fascinating that they were that Lana the the writer was able to sort of reveal all of that in so much in so such a like short compact film like genuinely drop dead gorgeous did such a good job of like analyzing these relationships in very clear ways and i i really liked the very brief and subtle interactions of the the film crew because they weren't like they weren't super creepy but they were still like asking important questions at certain parts of the film and then still having some like back and forth with characters like Alice and Janie where it's kind of comical and then becoming part of the story where it's like really ridiculous like eating the seafood and stuff like that at the end where they like they are part of the story but I liked that they weren't like they just looked like younger dudes and a little bored or a little dismayed by what they were filming <laughs> but I really thought that the Thomas Lennon character, like the voice that you hear, yeah. I thought he was going to be her dad. Oh. Because he kept like asking about like, well, how do you feel about your mom? Or like, how did you feel about like growing up without a dad? Right. And like, I really thought that that was going to be a reveal. And like, I clung to it really early in the film. And then when it didn't happen, I was like, oh, well, that would have been fun <laughs> if that would have <laughs> happened. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I feel like Drop Dead Gorgeous is such a good, tight film that, like, analyzes the tropes of the movie of the the 1990s, you know, like, The Craft, Clueless, Buffy, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, and even, like, late 80s Heathers. It sort of looks at all of those ideas and is like, but what is high school really like? Mm. And this is... Even though it's absurd and surreal and strange and has literally a young girl dancing on a stage with a paper mache Jesus. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she like, gosh, what is that? What is, so she's trying to sing, but she ends up just like speak. I I love that she has a terrible voice and they're still all assuming she's going to win. It's great. (laughs) And I, I don't even remember what that. Do you guys know off the top of your head what that what that number is? Uh, 
Just watched it. Should. Should totally know. Uh... It's like anyway. something that's meant to be kind of a romantic song, but then yes. she's singing it to Jesus, and now I can't remember exactly what song it was. I, I love uh, you, baby, I think. Uh, oh, can't take, can't take, can't my, take my eyes, eyes off of you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So she she's literally singing, can't take my eyes off you, but like, say, like can't take my eyes half of you just like that i love when she and when she exits the stage that she's literally carrying the cross on her back yeah it's so it's brilliant and it's just like i'm like well done well done the acting yeah cinema uh, i mean it's one of those things like it's obviously not a real high school but it does such a good job of like capturing how weird high school is and how many and parents like relive high school through their children? Definitely, absolutely. Yeah, Kirstie Alley, she's scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and I think so. My question for you guys is: I'm wondering how you guys look at high school tropes of the high school girl movie, and how Drop Dead Gorgeous sought to dismantle these tropes while Jawbreaker sort of desperately clings to them and tries to exploit them. And I'm wondering what you guys think about the way that tropes are used and utilized and destroyed in each of these films. I mean, for Drop Dead Gorgeous, I think it definitely works with that trope of like, that girls are all going to be mean to each other and all be competitive all the time. And it kind of turns that because they sort of are a a group of friends and cheering each other on, but not cheering on Denise Richards' character, obviously. Um, whereas Jawbreaker, they're they are a lot more competitive. It's sort of like Clueless, where they give the makeover to the person they think they're helping, but then when she starts getting attention, they turn on her, and that's sort of that conventional trope, like. There can only be one popular kid or, you know, one most sexy girl or whatever. Um, And, you know, they're not happy for their friends. They're immediately jealous or want to take them down or call them a slut or something terrible. So it's not nice. (laughs) No, it's not. I I liked that uh, while they're both like comedies in very different veins, um, I loved like the waiting for Guffman aspects of... Um, Drop Dead Gorgeous, I think that's great. But I think what they did with death, the idea of death, because typically in high school comedies or high school dramas, death is usually treated as like a metaphor for death of popularity Mm. or like falling from from grace Yeah, as like part of like your Mm -hmm. clique. So I liked that Drop Dead Gorgeous actually used death as death. And I felt like death was actually treated with some kind of weight and dignity having your protagonist Kirsten Dunst's character Amber literally work in a morgue yeah like trying to make dead people beautiful I I think that even though those parts were kind of funny I felt like the character herself actually really respected like her elderly and death and aging and I think the fact that even though she was 17, like, she knew how to work hard, she had good work ethic, they were really building, like, a real 
like, hero for, like, young girls to look up to. Yeah. Even though it was kind of set in, like, a ridiculous setting. Totally. Whereas Jawbreaker was just like, oh, no, she died. But it's more of, like, the death of popularity than, like, a death of an actual person. Yeah. I also want to state for the rec- Oh, gosh, am I- No, not muted. Zoom! Zoom! (laughs) (laughs) I also want to state for the record, I wrote down in my notes um, a question- which is what's sexy about a dead body? And let me tell you, the correct answer should be nothing. Yeah. <laughs> the correct answer should be nothing is sexy about a dead body, and yet Jawbreaker tries to make a dead body very sexy. Yeah, I really felt like Darren Stein, how he came up with this movie was like that scene. He was like, what if I did a scene where we were like putting makeup on a dead girl while another girl was getting a makeover? And, like, let me build a movie out of, like, this one scene that I think is very clever, even though it's really not clever and it's very disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Again, again, the answer to what's sexy about a dead body should always be nothing. I know. Even a drop-dead mm-hmm. gorgeous when she um, has to, like, put makeup on the boy that was, like, nice to her for a minute. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I know. You want him to look like he just came in from ice skating. Rosy cheeks, flushed ears, but it's like sad. (laughs) And it's like a moment of levity, even though it is kind of funny. But yeah, it's seeing all of the bodies and her like treating it like a job, but being respectful is, yeah, is the more appropriate way to handle that. Yes. I would think. <laughs> Again, I think that we're. This is sort of like the bashing Darren yeah. Stein podcast, but like, damn, he deserves it. Um, I also. So one of the last things. There are two more things that I want to talk about really quickly. Um, one of them is the dialogue, mm. because I think that uh, for those of you who haven't watched Drop Dead Gorgeous, uh, it's set in a Minnesota town, and it sounds like it. Everyone has this very, very rich, affected accent. And even Kirsten Dunst at, like, 17 just nails it. And I'm like, how? How? (laughs) And it's just this really, like, the O's are really long. The R's are sort of dropped. Like, it's bonkers how how good everybody is. And Kirstie Alley, I think, just, like, sells it. Um, And then... The way that that's sort of framed is natural, but, like, still really, really fast and sharp and clever. And then the way that Drop Dead, no, uh, Jawbreaker sort of has this very inauthentic, staid, like, mean girls trying to be smart. Like, we're actually smart mean girls because we can talk in big sentences and we can, like, eviscerate you with our, like, threats. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so i'm just wondering like what were your reactions to the dialogue in each of these films and how did that play into what you thought of the film as a whole i felt like watching jawbreaker i was like all right i feel like darren stein woke up in the morning and was like these are the scenes we're gonna do today i kind of have an understanding of what the scene needs to do for, like, the context of the film. But it felt like all of the scenes were written that morning. Like, all of the rewrites were done. And then they just, like, oh, yeah. give them to the actors. 
Because there are so many things that they say that I'm like, none of this makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're giving so me a scene weird. that kind of, like, is getting me to the point that you need it to do. But it's not, like, any logical way that anyone talks to each other. It was just really disjointed for me. Yeah. I feel like, I guess, you know, part of this is the time that these movies were made and whether or not they age well. But I felt like... Jawbreaker leaned too heavily on the like homophobic humor at times. And I would say the one down major downside for Drop Dead Gorgeous is sort of that brother character of the the one of the judges and them just like referring to him constantly as a retard, where I was just like, No, don't don't do that, guys. Don't do that. That was bad. And so I was sort of like Ah, the last remnants of the 90s that make my skin crawl. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, why do we have to make jokes about maybe she's a lesbian or, you know, I was just, those are the things that kind of rub me the wrong way in the dialogue when jokes are just like so heavily forced on that kind of stuff. And I'm like, eh. It's, I mean, it's cheap. It's cheap. It's cheap dialogue. Yeah. To make, to make comedy funny. Right. And I'm using funny with air quotes here. Yeah. Yeah. Very, like, the lowest, the lowest kind of joke you can make is someone who's, like, mentally, like, not all there. Right. Yeah, I don't know if, um, maybe just because I like Drop Dead Gorgeous so much as I was watching it, um, because when it comes to Jawbreaker, I felt like because it was written by a man, like, the lesbian jokes was just, like, low-hanging fruit. For him. Yeah, it was kind of cringy. And it was really cringy because sure. it was like, you don't get it. You've made all of your women characters already seem like they actually are lesbians with how obsessed yeah. they are with each other. But then you're having right. them oh, make all these like negative lesbian jokes towards each other. I was like, I don't think you really understand what women are like. But no. for... I don't think he's met a woman ever, <laughs> frankly. Um, but for Drafted Gorgeous, I-, I had hoped that the writer... Um, who wrote all of those retard jokes, the people who were using the word retard, I don't think you're supposed to like anyway. So right. I'm hoping that yeah. maybe it was just true. written to illustrate how terrible those people were. It was I definitely e- easier to take in like comparing the two films for sure. Mm-hmm. But like just as a, just as like a colloquialism that, held over from the late 90s early aughts that's one that i was just like ah dialogue yeah not good (laughs) yeah i mean the guy the main guy who like called his brother a retard did die yes so those those judges were ridiculous oh my god oh my god and that's like that's such a big thing the one woman who looked so miserable who is the writer of the movie actually is that the writer? Amazing! Wow, <laughs> she just looked Good so <laughs> miserable, and it was amazing. It was like great understated humor. It was so mm-hmm. good. <laughs> yeah, so good. Really, genuinely amazing. And I mean, it's one of those things. Like both films talk about like the sexuality and the over sexualization of young women, but only one actually does it in a way that like doesn't make you feel like you have ants crawling all over you mm. and you want to die. Um, and that one is drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> in case anyone was like had a shadow of a doubt. Um, so my last question, because we are coming up on our time, and I'm very excited that we are keeping it under an hour because we're amazing. 
Last question, folks. Soundtrack. Ooh. So here's the thing. Soundtracks can obviously make or break 90s films. So important to the teenage drama and, like, the teenage life. And honestly, we all know that 10 Things I Hate About You has the best soundtrack of the 1990s when it comes to, like, teenage high school films. Mm. Um, But I'm wondering... Which track did you like more? Because while I felt like Drop Dead Gorgeous really nailed it, um, Jawbreaker also had some bangers. They had Veruca Salt. Yeah, they had. And they actually they had good music. Had the Donnas come in for like their prom, which was hilarious. And, which was wild. I'm like, did the Donnas read the script? I don't think they would approve. <laughs> but so I'm wondering, like, what do you guys think about soundtracks and? teenage high school films and these films in particular yeah i liked the soundtrack of jawbreaker that was probably one of the things i liked more about the movie for sure yeah but it is always weird to me when any movie or tv show decides to put a live band in as like a prom or dance music i'm like no 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 kid would agree to a live band (laughs) (laughs) i'm like it's much more plausible to have one geeky kid spinning whatever off to the side (laughs) yep yeah i agree like uh jawbreaker that super cool song like i still have it stuck in my head and uh yeah it was really good and to be honest i couldn't tell you one song that was used in uh drop dead gorgeous other than that too good to be true now that we talked about it yeah because to me the movie just like did so much on its own without the music that that's almost just like escaping my mind yeah the music was sort of more like composition background in that film or like the pageantry of what the girls pick to accompany their their routines but Mm -hmm. like i can't remember but what song did they were they singing or playing when they were all dancing around with those benches that had just been painted and the blue paint was getting all over their shorts? I I was like, this is out of control, but hilarious. So I understand. Yeah, I couldn't tell. I think. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of it, right? Like Jawbreakers had a really great soundtrack, but that's partially because that's what it spent its money on. Probably. Yeah, that's true. Um, and Drop Dead Gorgeous had a soundtrack. It's like, oh yeah, this is what people were in Wisconsin were listening to. Yeah, I think I think Mother's Bob did the soundtrack to uh, Drop oh, Dead Gorgeous, awesome. Which awesome. makes sense of why it just like fits with the movie so well that like you don't even know yeah. notice it. Yeah, I also loved the um, the end sequence where it's just like music playing while all of the the pageant winners are just like destroying the headquarters of of this the beauty pageant like the, <laughs> i'm like it's like turning into a riot and she's just standing there like okay i'm gonna get back on the bus <laughs> it's just so good <laughs> it's such a great ending especially because like at the end of it the nice the good girl the nice girl who really is like genuinely like a, a good character and a nice person gets exactly what she wants yeah and it's great. I'm just like, bingo. That's all I wanted. Yeah, she gets like her like Tracy Perfect. Flick ending for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. She gets, right. she gets her Tracy Flick haircut at the end too. She does. <laughs> she totally does. 
Alright. I think that we have thoroughly dissected these two films. And yeah. So for for like our final send-off before we say goodbye, um <laughs> which film did you like better and why? DDG. I think you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Allison Janey oh, all the way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm. I think I think what I would want people to know is that we are not just saying Drop Dead Gorgeous is good because we're comparing it to Jawbreaker. Like, it's genuinely a very good film. Yeah, really enjoyable. It is just, <laughs> yeah. It's just, unfortunately, that in pairing it with Jawbreaker, it, it shines so much more because while they deal with, like, the exact same themes in a lot of ways. Like, they deal with death and judging young girls and sexuality and, like, adults manipulating girls and adults, like, manipulating the system and, like, the way in which women and young girls try and get what they want, you know? Um, And it's just unfortunate that we're talking about Drop Dead Gorgeous in the context of jawbreaker because jawbreaker is genuinely like i know it's a cult classic i know that queer folks love it i know it showed at like a couple lgbtq comic cons um i know trans people real like trans some trans some people in the trans community and drag queens especially really love jawbreaker but it is bad it's bad it is bad it's a bad film i'd be i'd be interested in reading some reviews or takes by people that do really enjoy it just to to hear why but yeah i probably won't watch it again no (laughs) but i would recommend drop that gorgeous 10 out of 10 for sure yeah totally all right Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Again, this is Linda, Diana, and Bernadette. We are Trikai 9, where we compared two movies, as long as they came out in the same year, and as long as that year ends in <laughs> 9. Um, we're part of Story Screen Presents, and fingers crossed we get to see everybody in theaters soon. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Join us next week. <laughs> Or maybe. Or maybe next month. <laughs> or maybe two months from now. Who knows? All right. Bye. 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 Hey, little Miss Sad Pants and her friend Serious Sally. How about some nice cool mints to turn those frowns upside down? Do you think a nice cool mint would help if I shoved your head up your ass?